What is accounting practice management software? Is it the operating system for your accounting practice? Is it an all-in-one software solution for accountants? Is it the crucial tech standing between your practice and utter chaos? Accounting practice management software should bring together all of your practice's mission-critical functions in one place to make your life and your practice easier. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Canopy, later in the episode and how you can receive a $40 Amazon gift card. I feel like there's this sort of divide in our profession where you've got the people who are like, really, I'm going to play by the rules. But then you have all these people that are out there doing crazy tax credit stuff and really aggressive stuff and conservation easements and R&D tax credits without really checking things. And they're making bundles of money. Mm -hmm. they are, they're, they're growing fast because they're giving the business owners what they want. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And our special guest this week is Jeremy Wells. Hey, Jeremy, how you doing? Doing all right, Blake. Thanks for having me. It looks like you're out on the road. Where are you at this week? I am actually at the AICPA's offices in New York City. I am here for a small group. Uh, meetup. And we just got finished with that just in time to come join you guys. Well, thanks for jumping on. I know I, I tweeted at you or I, I DM'd you maybe an hour or two ago. And I said, hey, Jeremy, there's been a lot of uh, chatter on tax Twitter about pumpkin patches. And I'm thinking about carving a pumpkin this weekend. I found the whole thing to be really interesting and I want to talk about it. But, you know, David and I are not tax people. Well, I guess everybody is a tax person, according to some marketing campaigns, but we are not tax people in that we don't prepare taxes. We are, aren't tax experts. I'm a CPA, but I, I'm on the you know financial accounting side, the bookkeeping side. So we thought maybe we should have somebody who actually knows what they're talking about on this episode to kind of give some uh, takeaways and context and, I don't know, just chat about it. So, yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm exactly qualified for that job, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Uh, for sure. Um, I, I did jump into that fray a little bit, tried to at least until I got blocked by the original poster. But yeah, definitely kept up with that conversation. Wait, do you want to share the tweet? Yeah. So let's look at this original tweet. And Jeremy, would you mind reading this tweet for our listeners who are not on the live stream? Absolutely. So uh, this is from uh, Pink Tax underscore CPA. And her tweet is, Make your pumpkin patch trip tax deductible. Step one, hire your kids uh, and or spouse in your business. Right? Seems yeah. legit. Mm -hmm. uh, step two, have a family business meeting at the patch. Now, what she means by family business meeting, I'm not sure. that I don't think that's a technical term there, but we can talk about that. Uh, step three, take videos for business posts and ads. All right. I, I, I think I, I'm seeing what she's driving at here. Step four, uh, discuss business over snacks, presumably snacks you purchase there at the pumpkin patch. Uh, and then step five, keep your receipts and record of work done. And, and for, according to this tweet, if you do those five things, uh, then you've got yourself a tax-deductible family trip to the pumpkin patch. What could be better? Oh, that's very exciting. I always love being able to deduct vacations and family trips and... <laughs> And to, uh, to rewind, and, and I this, have interest in this too is if I go back to Scaling New Heights. So we were at the conference Scaling New Heights, and it's in Orlando. And the day after the conference, you know, obviously that was all a business trip, and my son was with me, and he worked the booth, and he's on the payroll of the of the LLC. We went to what's that place called Universal Studios, wearing our Cloud Accounting podcast shirts, and I asked Tax Twitter, I was like, "Can I claim the cost to get in?" Everybody's like, "Nope, can't do it." Even though they announced, they actually read off the shirts and said it over the loudspeaker, but it doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody, no, went nobody backed with me. you on that no, one. No, David? I didn't find any. But I'm talking the wrong people, though. Maybe I need to get with a different set of Twitter people. <laughs> you, you, you just need to fire tax Twitter and go hire a CPA that'll agree with you. Well, yeah. So, so I I find this interesting because um, I kind of found myself in these questionable tax deduction situations as a bookkeeper because I would be putting together the books for my clients and I would see all sorts of stuff come through that was of questionable nature. Like, should this really be a business expense? And when I first started doing that kind of work, it bothered me a bit. 
I'm also studying for my CPA and I'm learning all about ethics and professional responsibility. And here I am coding, I don't know, like, uh, just like, I, I can't even think of an example right at the moment, but just obviously, you know, stuff that's like a personal credit card that's getting paid through the business. And it, it, bo- it would bother me. But then at a certain point, I just said, you know what, I'm not the one preparing the tax return. Whoever does that can go ahead and reclass these entries. You know, my job is just to do the books according to how the business owner wants them done. And so that's how I made my peace with it. And I'd be surprised if everybody who does this kind of work doesn't see this all the time. Like, at yeah. least, unless... And, unless, and, and as, a, yeah. as a tax professional, you know, I, I understand that. And, and I have, I have uh, customers in my farm where we're, where we're doing both. We're doing the books and, uh, and the, the tax return. So, uh, you know, we'll see transactions come through. And, you know, you got to understand from our perspective, we're just seeing that, that little bit of cryptic information that's included on, on the bank statement. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll see Target come through or Walmart or Starbucks. And we have no idea, you know, what that transaction actually was. So we need some help uh, from the customer to get some context. Right. Did did you just accidentally use the business card for this personal transaction? Did you actually meet one of your clients or customers at Starbucks? Those kinds of things. Now, as the tax preparer, if I'm not doing the bookkeeping, uh, you know, then there's the issue of Okay, you know, you prepared the statements according, or you prepared the uh, the books according to the client's wishes, or just based on the best information you had. Now, as the tax preparer, it's still on me to do some due diligence as to whether you know all of this stuff is truly deductible, whether it's correctly categorized. So, you know, w- what am I going to do in the middle of tax season? Am I still going to go through the GL line by line and figure out if all of those target transactions were in fact business expenses? If all of those Starbucks purchases were in fact, you know, meeting clients at Starbucks. So it, it, it can get, it can get interesting. It can, it can be a tough ordeal on both sides for both the bookkeeper and the tax fair. Yeah. So there's two things going on that I want to talk about. It's that what is our responsibility as CPAs or just as EAs or tax professionals in general? What is our obligation to investigate this and allow it or disallow it? Because that can create a lot of tension with clients. And there's a penalty, really, in a, in a business sense for being super ethical as a tax preparer. You might piss off clients. They might leave you because you're not willing to stretch the envelope or completely rip up the envelope as many of them want. Yeah. Although, yeah, but then there's also you, just like this that whole cost segregation Twitter thread that also well, and, happened this week where he's like, fire You're jumping CPAs. ahead, David, because that was <laughs> that's, yeah, a whole that, other that's the other one on this yeah. theme, right? So, so, but the, the, and the, the other aspect of this whole thing is the just bad tax advice thing that happens on social media or super aggressive or completely incorrect TikTok tax advice, Twitter tax advice, you know, from people who maybe don't really understand what the rules are, right? Yeah. And so that was, you know, a, a lot of the, the reaction, once the uh, sort of initial reaction to this tweet came out where a bunch of, uh, you know, CPAs, tax professionals jumped in and, and responded directly to her and said, hey, hey, wait a minute, slow down. You know, you're, 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 you're glazing over, you know, you're glossing over a lot of stuff. You're, you're, you're kind of simplifying this too much. Um, each one of these steps can be in and of itself related to a legitimate tax strategy. And you're conflating uh, some of these things. You're also, again, glossing over that, that there's some nuance to a lot of these things. Um, but then, you know, pretty quickly, the, the conversation turned, and I actually appreciated this, uh, the conversation turned from just, you know, it, is her advice here right or wrong? Is this what we should be telling clients? Uh, more toward, you know, how should we even respond to we as an industry, right? We as CPAs, we as tax professionals, um, enrolled agents, right? What, you know, whatever our, our role and our credentials are, you know, how should we as the trusted professionals, as the ones who, who's actually working with our clients and customers, and it's going to have to go back and explain whether this is actually true or not, right? Or whether we'll actually apply any of these strategies or not in our own clients' cases. You know, what's our role, both in terms of dealing with customers when they bring us this kind of unnuanced advice that they've seen out in the wild, right? That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is, you know, how do we directly engage with this kind of advice out there? Do we, do we reply, right? Do we directly get in here and get into a debate, you know, which can easily devolve into a pissing match of whether this is right or wrong, or, you know, do we not directly engage, but maybe we just uh, try to, you know, flood the ocean with our own content 
that's actually saying the right things. The only problem is there is anybody actually going to listen to us, you know, when we're dealing, when we're up well, against boring. this kind of thing. It's not exciting. Like, it doesn't feel like exactly. you're, you're going to save me well, some money. It, and the other piece. And I have to say, I have to say, like, this is a good tweet from the original poster. Like, it's a very appealing tweet. It's got a nice five-step process to getting that exactly. deduction that you may not have known you had. Like, this is great copywriting. Yeah. And, and, right? and she, <laughs> this is a great she copywriting. She has it on Instagram yeah. as a video. Tax advice or not. It's, it's the same tweet on yeah. Instagram or whatever. It's on Instagram yeah. as a video where it's, it's all the things she talks about in that post. But the other thing that was in this thread is she kind of felt attacked. Kind of the, the old mm-hmm. school accountant, white males jumping on a minority, younger female that's new to the industry. And I'm kind of like, trying to digest that a little bit because I can see her point of view, why she feels like that. But I'm like, I know we knock big firms a lot, right? But we live in a day and age where in theory, you could graduate college now, get your degree, start an accounting firm and not go to work for another firm, right? And I'm wondering if, the, oh my God, I'm actually going to come up with a reason maybe why you should go to work for a firm possibly. And I don't know her background if she did it or not. I can't find her actual website her business, which is actually the big flaw in this whole thing. Like if you're going to have social media accounts, don't you want to drive people to your website so they can engage you as a client? But that's another question. But my, my bigger question is, so I'm a young green CPA. The, are these the types of things where I would learn these nuances? I think you said that word, right, Jeremy? I would learn these in my first two, three years at a firm. Is that kind of, is that the right vibe? Like, is that, yeah. that's what, is that what this really is? It's just, it's green. It's just, Inexperience. Well, it, it's interesting, David. The way the way you you frame that sort of background, because that's actually my background. Is, you know, about five years ago is when I decided to you know uh, when I really uh, committed to becoming an accountant, and uh, you know I followed the the absolute non traditional path of you know I did not go to meet the firms night. I did not compete for internships. I did not try to get a big four uh, job. I found a mentor um, who was an experienced CPA. Uh, who focused on tax, and you know, I relied on him for the first couple of years to help me get started uh, with my firm. So I had guidance. It just wasn't in that traditional format of you know, I'm working for a firm and I'm being assigned work, and I've got a senior and manager and partner overseeing my work. Um, but to your to your question, this is what is difficult about our profession is no, there, there's nothing in the education that uh, you know is offered by an accounting program at a university there's nothing even in the testing that you would get whether it's the special enrollment exam for an enrolled agent or the the reg exam the regulation exam for the CPA that deals with taxes right you're never going to see a question about you know hiring your kids right uh, in your business you're, you're just not going to and so yes these are things that you know, in your first couple years, probably either either through your own client seeing stuff like this and bringing it to you, or uh, it, you know, you've been assigned a tax return if you're working in a firm, and so it involves that. And and then you've got to go through the learning process. If you're on your own, hopefully that means going and doing research, right? Or you have a, a mentor, you have uh, you know an experienced professional that you're networking with that you can run these questions text by, Twitter could and be they'll steer you in the, the right direction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, or, or you're getting that guidance at work somehow. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. I'm sure you've heard of Zoho before. We've probably even mentioned Zoho CRM or Zoho Books on this podcast in the past. But do you really know about Zoho? Did you know that Zoho offers an entire suite of solutions to run your firm, including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, a full office suite, a support ticket system, and workflow automation? Did you know that Zoho offers a suite of solutions for your client's bookkeeping, including bookkeeping, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app? Did you know that Zoho has an accountants program? Did you know that Zoho advisors get free access to eight Zoho applications and a dedicated account manager? If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. So I want to actually talk about what is wrong with this or what is right with this uh, point of view. The idea of making a family pumpkin patch trip tax deductible. (laughs) So Matt Foreman... We should give him credit for kicking this whole thing off. He loves to stir the pot, doesn't he? Uh, yes, absolutely. He said, he, he took a screenshot of the tweet. And this tweet, I should also give credit to, is from Pink Tax. 
um, on Twitter. Say you don't know how, quote, ordinary and necessary, unquote, is defined by tax law without saying you don't know how ordinary and necessary is defined <laughs> by tax law. And that made me think back to that phrase, which I, uh, I did learn about ordinary and necessary as part of my income tax courses. And the IRS has definitions for ordinary and necessary, and that's sort of the broad way that we decide, or we are supposed to decide anyway, what expense qualifies as a business expense, as a deduction, or not. And so, you know, what is, like, let's, let's, di- let's dissect this, Jeremy. What is not ordinary and necessary about this yeah. strategy? Yeah, right. Um, and and I, I primarily work with small business owners. And, uh, you know, this is probably the most common question I get. Can I deduct this? Right. Um, you know, I did this thing. Uh, and then phrased slightly differently is, you know, I've got all these personal expenses that I'm paying. What of that should I be using the business card to pay for? Right. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And so uh, that's right. The guideline for that is ordinary and necessary. Ordinary means is, is this common uh, throughout your uh, throughout your industry, really? And so the way I phrase this with my own client uh, is if I polled 100 people that were doing the same thing you're doing, right, as, as self-employed people, as business owners, would most of them also be spending money on this thing? So is this just common in your industry for them to be doing that? Uh, that's that's half of it, right? And then you got to meet the other half of that, which is necessary. I think, I think this is an unfortunate uh, label, for this part of it, because you know, necessary implies that it's somehow you know, it's required, right? That that it's uh, you would have to be spending money on this in order to stay in business. It's not quite that strict. It's really is this something that's useful? Uh, is, is this something that's beneficial to your business? Is it going to increase revenue? Is it going to make your business operate more efficiently? Right, those kinds of things. So if you can meet those two criteria, right? Most people in your industry are also spending money on this. And at the same time, you've got a legitimate business, you know, purpose for this expense that you're going to increase revenue. You're going to make your business more efficient. Then as long as there's not somewhere else in the tax code or regulations or court cases that says, no, actually, this is not a deductible expense, then we generally say, yes, this is deductible, right? So Um, so I find that helpful, uh, you know, that you said, well, for ordinary, it means common. I Googled this and Investopedia says that the IRS defines ordinary as anything that is, quote, common and accepted, unquote. So you said, you know, if you polled 100 people, a certain number of them would say yes to that. But like the IRS hasn't actually defined a standard for what is common and accepted, have they? Uh, No. (laughs) <laughs> no. And and this is true of so many things that are both critical to the work we're doing and also really confusing and frustrating for our customers and clients, right? right? Is that we just don't have good working definitions of these things because there are so many edge cases. There are so many times where in your industry, right? You know, uh, you're running a, a business that is, you know, that's publishing podcasts. So your microphone is probably ordinary and necessary for that. On the other hand, if I'm running an accounting firm, do I really need a microphone in that business? Well, I don't know, right? Like, can I make a business case for it? And so there are so many edge cases where we need looser definitions so that it's our job as professionals to make cases for whether or not this is actually a deductible expense or not. So is it fair to say then that the only time the definition matters is if I am in tax court or if I'm talking with an auditor? Because- if the IRS doesn't de- define it further, then it's only going to, like the meaning of it is going to come down to what a judge decides or what an yeah, auditor it, decides. Th- this is why we have um, an entire, we call it the U.S. tax court. It's actually a system of courts. It's, it's, a, it's a few dozen judges that meet throughout the country. And um, it's one way that if a taxpayer and IRS disagree on a point and it's worth it to the taxpayer to pursue the matter further. You know, there, there, there's some substantial financial, uh, you know, cost at stake to letting the IRS have its way on this. Uh, then you can, on, under certain circumstances, you can appeal that to the tax court and it's a court system, uh, at the federal level that exists solely to hash out, uh, these kinds of issues. You know, what do we really mean by ordinary and necessary? What do we mean by reasonable compensation? What do we mean by all these different terms, by income, 
right? You know, we don't have a great definition of income and it's the most basic concept to our entire tax system, which is based on the income tax. So similar to the definition of ordinary, the IRS definition of necessary is also mm -hmm. rather vague. It's quote, helpful and appropriate, unquote, but not indispensable. Like you said, it doesn't have to be required to run my business. It simply has to be helpful and appropriate. And you define that as, does it help me increase revenue? Does it have a business purpose in that sense? Which I would agree with, but you know, I, I'm trying to see this from the original author's point of view, from Pink Tax's point of view. These are so vague that I could, <laughs> right. I could make an argument. Like I'm looking at her argument, make your pumpkin patch trip tax deductible. If I'm an influencer yeah. and, uh, you know, hey, I think I've got a podcast, right? I could make an argument that social media and podcasting is part of my, that is my job. It's my main source of income. If I hire my son as a model in my business and I put them all over my social media accounts and then we go to the pumpkin patch and I'm posting all that stuff. Uh, and I talk about it on the podcast. Why is that not ordinary and necessary? There's yeah. plenty of other influencers exploiting their children in this fashion. And uh, if it helps me increase my listenership and my viewers, that leads to revenue, right? So that would yeah. be necessary. I mean, and everyone came on, you know, people, people really came down hard on pink tax here for this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the way I think about this is, and you know, I don't, in, in my own firm, I don't work with any clients that are uh, to the point at which, you know, I would really go to bat for them on, on some silly things that they throw out there or they, or they see on, uh, on social media. But part of the, uh, both the, both the beauty and the frustration with our, uh, with our tax code and our, and our tax system is that there is so much vagueness. There is so much leeway. And I think a lot of taxpayers, the, the vast overwhelming majority of taxpayers, and therefore the tax repairs and tax advisors working with them, don't necessarily um, either appreciate that or understand that, or on the other end of the, uh, on the other hand, really have reason to take advantage of that. So, you know, what do I mean by that? If you're a big enough player, right? If you've got if you've got millions and millions of dollars that you're you're playing with, and so you've got tax bills that are in the millions of dollars, and you want to take a swing at a tax strategy that has you know a relatively low chance of succeeding, and so we have we have thresholds, right? That we're taught, you know, wh whether this is reasonable, whether there's substantial authority for this. We've got all these terms, we've got all these different definitions of what it means, right, to where uh, we as a profession deem this tax strategy viable or not, and it's actually a spectrum, right? So the question then for us as professionals is, one, do we want to advise our client to put themselves at potential risk by pursuing this strategy, right? And then two, do we want to risk our own professional reputation and license by advising them in that direction and going down that road with them, right? Now, what the, what the real joke of, of all this is, is that, you know, what, what Pink Tax is suggesting here is probably going to save you something like 15 or 20 bucks in tax, right? And the reason you get such a strong response of no is that almost no tax professional in his or her right mind is going to go to bat for a client to save them 15 or 20 bucks in tax. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it to the client. It's not worth it to us. Right. And so yeah. that's really why you get such a vehement, strong, no response to this. So it's not really about could I defend this or is this right or wrong or is this correct or incorrect? It's is this worth my time? And exactly. It's a really for for this amount of money and then the potential problem it causes you in an audit because yeah. you're doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. I imagine that if an auditor goes into the books and finds the pumpkin patch trip, that's like a, a red flag. Now I'm going to dig further, right? So I think that kind of got missed in all of this is that's like what it's really about. And, you know, there are, um, it, it's just, you got you to gotta think about this, right? You got to look at the return on investment of this. You know, is, is this something that if it were to get picked up in an audit? And, and here's another thing is that, um, the, 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 the regulations that uh, govern the things that we can 
think about when it comes to advising our clients on tax matters and representing them. If this got pulled for audit and we, you know, we're going to IRS and, and, you know, trying to hash out whether this was, uh, you know, viable or not, the, the regulations tell us we can't take the likelihood of whether this would be audited or not and whether we would succeed in an audit or not into account when we're advising the client. So we can't sit there and say, Wait, hold on. oh, well, I, yeah, hold on, but yeah. that's the core thing that matters. I know, I know. But the, okay, so this is what the ethical regulations say. I'm not saying it doesn't right. happen. Yeah, no, okay? I know. I get it. But the but... ethical regulations say that I can't sit here and say, you know what, Blake, I can save you $5,000 on your next tax return. And I know the IRS is so backlogged, they'll never catch it. So let's just go ahead and do it. That is me being unethical as a tax preparer and tax advisor. What Does I that can feel like that's say happening, though, is, on social? Oh, well, like, I, it's very I, I don't think that's happening out loud. Okay. Yeah. But I know that I happens. I think it's happening out loud. I mean, that yeah. happens oh, it in absolutely private happens. conversations. It, People talk and about... And so the way, I think, yeah. it, the way I think it gets phrased probably more often and a little bit more legitimately is that, you know, we, we can try this strategy. I can't guarantee IRS will agree with us, but I would be willing to wager that more often than not, and that's generally the threshold we use, more often than not, any given day that an IRS auditor would pull this, they'd let us, they'd let us do it. They'd agree with it, right? And that's a legitimate way of thinking about it. But you're, are we allowed to think that way? We are. We are. We we can think of it right. in, in that. In fact, we're told to. Right. Like the tax strategy that we're advising to our clients, we need to have we need to meet that more often than not threshold. More often than not, this expense would be allowed. OK, right? got it. That's that's the rule. But I yeah. can't or 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 this this strategy would be right. allowed. But yeah. we're not supposed to advise based on a risk assessment of whether or not exactly like so 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 we can't sit there and say well irs is so backlogged if we filed the return they'd never catch it anyway right, right. your return prop there, there's a there's a there's a there's a 0.2 percent chance your return is going to get pulled for audit anyway so let's just go with it even though we know it's wrong yeah. even though we know it wouldn't pass muster right yeah they probably won't catch it anyway so let's go with it we can't do that as cpas as but, but as 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 anyone who is going to be in the position of advising clients on how to deal with the IRS, right? We call this, the IRS called this practice before the IRS. Unless I'm an unlicensed tax preparer, in which case I can do whatever I want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and really, so the IRS distinguishes between preparation and what they call practice or actual representation. Right. And, and this is, this is way beyond what any client is going to worry about. Yeah. Right. But, um, but you're, you're right in that, uh, the, the, because unlicensed preparers aren't going through the, the, uh, ethical and practical training of how to be good, uh, tax preparers and tax advisors, they're probably not going to be thinking in these terms anyway. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. As you've heard in previous ads, Canopy brings together all of your firm's mission-critical functions in one place, client management, document management, workflow, time and billing, and payments to keep your team organized. And having your team organized is great, but having your team spend less time on mundane tasks is even better. Did you know that Canopy has automation built in? Sure, you can still use an app like Zapier with Canopy, but for most firms, the built-in automation in Canopy's workflow module is plenty sophisticated enough. Your team can create trigger automations based on status, tasks and subtasks, as well as dates, be it upcoming, reached, or passed. Then Canopy can complete the mundane tasks for your team, like automatically ascending client requests, or automatically assigning the next task or subtask to a member of your team as they complete work for each client. Or how about a really nice email to the client after all the work's been completed? Canopy integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, Form Builders, Spreadsheets, Calendars, Email, and of course, Zapier. They have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portable, task management, and the list goes on and on. To get a demo of Canopy and to receive a $40 Amazon gift card, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. It's time to streamline your firm with Canopy. All right, I got another tweet for us to digest here. This is another gem from Matt Foreman this week at Foreman Tax Law. Tell me, he's your, on a roll. He is, man. 
tell me you're taking incredibly aggressive tax positions that won't withstand audit without saying you're taking incredibly aggressive tax positions that won't withstand audit. I'm looking at you at Sweaty Startup. And he is subtweeting a tweet from Sweaty Startup, Nick Huber, who wrote, most CPAs act like they work for the IRS. Instead of building a case and getting aggressive within the laws, they take the easy road and encourage their clients to pay more than necessary. Easier for them and less headache when an audit does come. Fire those CPAs. And I think this one set off an even bigger firestorm. Uh, and, and, of, and that guy's an audience. Um, he has like 250,000 followers. He's got a significant audience. I guess he falls into that. People were starting to say it's a real estate boys, a real estate bros. Like it's in, in that space, which is actually kind of funny because I would argue he just described most real estate agents. <laughs> right. Like, like yeah. they are very like, yeah. oh, we got to follow the laws this way. They're not very aggressive on when you go to purchase your house or sell a house. It's kind of, I, I, I find that actually the most ironic about his tweet. But but, the, but then on the business side, and I, and I have had and have uh, a lot of real estate agents and brokers as clients when it comes to their own businesses, they're, they're a lot closer to what Nick is saying. They're a lot closer to, we want to be able to deduct all these things. We want to be able to uh, defer some of this income or not report it and these kinds of things. So they're pretty aggressive when it comes to their own businesses and taxes. And then just like us in our profession, right? Like you're saying, they have to do their due diligence when it comes to their work for their license and those kinds of things. Uh, and so, I pause yeah, this. He's in the self-storage point. space. He's like a self-storage bro. He's one of those guys. Yeah. So, uh, which has a lot to do with real estate, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're building those self-storage units. Um, so, one just went up in my neighborhood, by the way. People have a lot of crap, right? Like I don't yes. I don't want to own enough crap where I have to have a separate space to go put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I can they, it, it's like they build one and then a few blocks down they start building another one. I mean, they're just kind of out of control. The stats on how much stuff people have in storage in this country is yes. just insane. It's like the only place in the world where we have so much crap that we have this entire multi billion dollar industry. But I digress. Yep. Okay, so this is related to me. In my mind, this is related to the previous tweet. It's just a different variation on a theme, which is I think a lot of clients, well, some clients get frustrated with accountants and tax preparers and CPAs because we we say no a lot. We say, nope, can't take that deduction. I ask you, you're like, nope, not a business expense. I want to stretch the envelope. I know, I know that my friend is deducting the Porsche. You know, I want to do that too, right? And my, my CPA won't do it. Now, this is a much bigger thing. This is talking about cost segregation and taking aggressive, you know, being aggressive with cost segregation in real estate, which is basically, if I understand it correctly, like accelerating depreciation so that you get like a big deduction in like your initial years of owning something. And like you can basically avoid paying tax for a long time right and hopefully until you even sell the property so it's sort of like just deferring all that crap forward and really saves can can really help you a lot with cash flow right absolutely but also can like is complex and we get people doing these cost segregation studies that don't really know what they're doing and it you know they they do it the wrong way anyway but like that's i don't want to get into the details of like cost segregation and all that but i I just want to get into the the thinking around this whole mentality right which is you know, what's my job as a CPA or an EA when it comes to clients is like, I don't want to be the one saying no. I'm thinking as a business owner, right? I'm representing these clients. I'm helping them save money. I want to be able to tell them yes. I want to be able to say yes and help them save as much money as possible. And um, I feel like there's this sort of divide in our profession where you've got the people who are like, really, I'm going to play by the rules. But then you have all these people that are out there doing crazy tax credit stuff and really aggressive stuff and conservation easements and R&D tax credits without really checking things. And they're making bundles of money. Mm-hmm. They are, they're, they're growing fast because they're giving the business owners what they want. And those of us who are, say, more ethical, if you want to call it that, or more by the rules, like we, we don't grow as fast, right? Because you're at a disadvantage, potentially. Well, then the, the, not even this guy, the this uh, this Nick uh, Huber guy, the sweaty startup uh, on Twitter, he eventually in this thread talks about how he found this other accountant. He found uh, Mitchell Baldridge, uh, Baldridge CPA on Twitter. Um, he's got like 50,000 followers that like he found somebody, like you said, said yes, right? That, yeah, that's absolutely right. If you, if, you, if, you, if you keep firing your, your advisors, uh, you know, enough, you'll eventually hire one. 
that will go along with you. And that's when, uh, it, you know, you uh, are not hiring an advisor, you're hiring someone to execute, right? And this is something that I think we in general as a profession uh, can can fall into the trap of is not clearly distinguishing for ourselves and for our, our clients what our, you know, the, the, the difference between those two roles. Sometimes we're executing work for you, right? Sometimes we're doing your bookkeeping. Sometimes we're, you know, preparing your tax return. Sometimes we're running payroll for you. But then other times we're advising you, right? Other times we're telling you, look, these are some tax strategies we can consider, right? These are some business strategies we can consider. And those are two very different things. And if, you know, you could be doing a great job on the bookkeeping and preparing the tax return. And if the customer or client doesn't like the advice that they're getting or, you know, the response that they're getting when they bring these ideas to you, then everything on the execution side doesn't matter, right, to them anymore because they just want to get their way. Um, but, you know, you got to think about it, right? Like even the mafia, right, they've got, they've got CPAs working for them. They've got attorneys working for them. They've got real estate and insurance agents and bankers working for them, right? You know, eventually you will find somebody who will work for you and carry out the the strategies that you want to carry out if you're a client. And, and yeah. I imagine going back to like you talked about the risk, right? Of oh, this is maybe twenty five dollars may not be worth it. But like this guy, he's a, he claimed he has this pin tweet how in the last thirty six months he and his uh, partner they've uh, sourced, financed, and acquired sixty four million dollars worth of self storage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and raised twenty one million dollars investor capital. At some point, the accountants also got to be like oh, the money I'm going to get from this client is worth my risk of these sh- tricky strategies. Is that a decision made at firms? Yeah. Well, I mean, absolutely. Think about it. You know, if you're if you're a small firm owner and you're running a primarily, you know, tax prep firm for, uh, you know, mostly 1040s and small businesses, you know, and you're you're charging, you know, and, and I mean, the, the, the fees are out of control. And this is, this is a, you know, in, on the low end to me. Um, but you know, th- this is a topic for a whole other show and I know a topic you guys have discussed a lot before. Um, but, but let's just say, you know, you're running a tax firm that charges four or 500 bucks for a 1040, right? Now, if you, a personal tax return and you file that, that return for a client and then six months later, they bring you a notice saying that, you know, you left something off, you left a form off and it's going to make a $10,000, $20,000 in, difference in tax. And you've already been paid the four hundred dollars for the ten forty. That was six months ago. You've moved on, right? You've got other clients who need you to do work for them, and all that. Now you're sitting here, and and the cost of having to deal with that notice, of having to deal with that potentially angry client, relative to the work you did for them and the price you charge them for that work, is much greater than if you're an accountant working with clients like Nick, where you know they're doing multi million dollar deals and they're paying you, you know, five, six figures a year in fees. And he might get the same notice that the number, you know, on the notice of what he owes might be different. But, you know, responding to that one notice, which because it was such a much bigger transaction and a much bigger portfolio of transactions in the first place, you probably anticipated that notice. So you built that into your fee structure, your capacity planning, the, you know, your business model. And so you're, just, you're more prepared for that. And so you can have a relatively simple, straightforward notice coming into a small tax firm that just blows their capacity planning out of the water. Whereas somebody like Mitch Baldridge can get a notice, you know, 10, 20 times bigger in terms of the financial impact to his client, but he's ready for it. That's a really good point, Jeremy. Like it really depends on the the type of client you got, the, the, the mm-hmm. fee structure, how much they're paying you and like your capacity in your firm. Larger firms can do this kind of yeah. stuff because they have the capacity to deal with the uh, fallout of something going and wrong. Maybe it's you price into the model. And I don't know anything about well, and I don't know anything about Mitch's firm and how he runs his firm. But you know, if I were in Mitch's position, um, I probably wouldn't be the one directly handling that notice. I would have referral partners. I would have attorneys. I would have tax resolution specialists. Right? If, if not inside my firm then uh, definitely in firms that I'm working with. And so again, you know, I would have the, the strategies a, a, in place to handle this kind of thing to where, to me, you know, it, it's just, the, it's, it's a blip on the radar. It's part, yeah. of, it's part of the cost of yeah, doing so, business. Yeah, so if I'm pricing my services, I could have 
we can do our aggressive tax strategies, but that plan's more expensive than our regular tax plan because there's a high probability exactly. I'm going to incur a bunch of other costs with that down the road. And 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 the, and the client probably knows this, right? Like you know, Nick knows some of the things that he's doing that he's talking about. They they run into you know this this is another thing that uh, you know your typical W two earner uh, who maybe has. Uh, they, they've got some wages and salary. They maybe have some interest and dividends on their tax return, but that's it. There, there, there's very small, almost non-existent uh, margin of error there. There's no room to play with, right? There are no aggressive tax decisions to take on that return. You get somebody like Nick where he's doing, you know, seven, eight, nine figure transactions multiple times a year. Well, the way we're reporting these things, the way we're taking deductions against that, the way we're trying to apply credits to all of this, there are so on the spectrum of aggressiveness, you know, that to use his word, right, you can go much higher on that spectrum. And so therefore, his accountants yeah. are going to build that in or, or decide whether they want to build that into the fee structure and the capacity. That makes a lot of sense. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Lysio. Blake and I talk a lot in the show about client experience. A great client experience may be the biggest impact on a firm's success. Did you know that Lysio is so focused on improving the client experience that they have even gone as far as trademarking, and I quote, client experience 2.0. Lysio's all-in-one client experience starts with your own firm's experience. By allowing your team to do more together, having everything in one place like secure messaging, client-facing tasks, file exchange and storage, electronic signatures, client invoicing, and client emails. When you improve your team's experience, your client's experience will follow. With Lysio, clients can use the app on their phone to easily e-sign anything, scan and send you documents from anywhere, send messages, and best of all, pay you. If you want to save 40% of your time by having everything in one place and start delivering a client experience 2.0, Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Lysio. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-S-C-I-O. It's like we have, in this country, we have two economies. We have the economy of the wealthy and we have the economy of the middle class, right? And yeah. the, the, the people who serve the, the truly wealthy and the tax professionals and the accountants and, you know, that's like... That's a lot of most CPAs don't serve the middle class, really, right? Like it's right. not it's not a thing, and so there's a lot of confusion, I think, when we talk about this stuff online. Like you're pointing out, Jeremy, that it really depends on who you're talking about, what business you're talking about, what kind of firm you're talking about, because the same it doesn't apply equally. There's no, but that's what's happening here is we're having a debate. Yeah, we're having a debate between like small preparers who are serving average Americans and an entrepreneur who's like you said doing multi-million dollar deals throughout the year constantly yeah. and what they need and what they can get is is different and unfortunately the tax code is set up so that unless you are a millionaire it's kind of hard to take advantage of a lot of these strategies but then you've got people pitching these strategies that are for millionaires to average yeah. americans that that you just bridged yep. up that's it right or or they're just posting about it on twitter and so you've got you know, starry-eyed clients that are chasing the American dream, and they come across a tweet or an Instagram post or a TikTok video telling them about this, you know, it, cool new tax strategy, like they just discovered it, and that no CPA knows about it, even though, yeah, we we, we all know about it, right? Yeah. And you know, it, it'll you know, it saved them thirty grand in taxes last year. It saved them fifty grand in taxes last year, and their CPA, you know, helped them get it. And and you know you consume you as, as a as a layperson right as a, as your average taxpayer you're consuming this and then you're going to your CPA and you know, you're saying wait my guy told me I owed last year what's up with that right like how do I get this strategy yeah. well there there's the tax strategies for somebody who's there who's where you want to be and where maybe you'll be there in five ten fifteen years and then there's the tax strategies available to you today and I'm sorry if you're bringing home a W-2 with high five, low six figures, and that's really it. You're not self-employed. You don't own a real estate portfolio. You're not day trading on the stock market or in crypto, right? You're not doing these things to the degree with the level of intensity, you know, the the, the five, six, seven, eight, nine figures that that these heavy, heavy hitters are playing at. 
those strategies, they're just not there. And the cost, even if you could were eligible, even on the very low end, you were eligible for some of these strategies, the administrative and professional cost of actually implementing them in your case would far exceed yeah. any potential profit you could ever hope to get off of them. And it's just not ever going to be worth it to you. And that's what we're saying no to. Right. We're saying no to you right now, given your situation. I'm not saying no, this is a bad strategy. Right. I'm saying no, this strategy sense. isn't advantageous to but, you today. But the problem is the way, and I understand that. And yeah, the problem is the way people hear that yeah. is they say like, it sounds like you're saying I'm too poor. You know, like I... <laughs> Yeah. And nobody right? wants to hear exactly. that. Exactly. Uh. You know, go, 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 go put together a $54 million tran you know, real estate transaction. Right. And then come back to me <laughs> and we'll, and we'll talk. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us for this segment on tax qu Twitter drama. Perhaps we can make this a regular segment if it continues. Um, we'll, we'll have to see if I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> it could be its own and podcast. I'm a fan. Uh, false tax. Uh, <laughs> Tax there should be a, there should be a tax Twitter podcast. We should uh, we should develop that, David, someday when we have there time. There you go, uh, Jeremy. Though you have your own podcast uh, that we can direct folks to, the CPA Advisory Show by Jeremy Wells, CPA EA, and Chris. Uh, how do you say Chris's last name? Chris Hervishan. Chris Hervishan, CPA CVA. It's a show about advisory services, building and running an advisory firm, and how we use advisory services to help our clients. We look forward to sharing many great episodes with you. Uh, so you can listen to that on Spotify. You can listen on Apple podcasts. Uh, Jeremy, how long have you been doing your own show? I uh, so Chris and I started this back over the summer. And I think, um, you know, as of today, we're about 20, I want to say 22, maybe 23, uh, episodes into it. So I, I, I think we're past the threshold of where most podcasts die. Um, <laughs> uh, we're not quite to the threshold of, you know, we're, 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 competing with you guys definitely not anywhere near that yet but you know it's not a competition right we're all we're all trying to uh, like, like we say in the tagline there we're you know we're trying to come at this from the perspective of helping uh based on our own perspectives and based on those of the guests trying to help uh cpas and, and firm owners even non-cpas too uh, uh run better uh, practices and businesses we've actually had some guests that aren't cpas a lot of our guests so far have been cpas but some of them aren't hmm. um you know we've had attorneys we've had uh those working in the industry who aren't credentialed so uh and even some non-accountants uh as guests we've had some people come on talk about operations talk about different aspects of uh running a business and ways that uh you know we as advisors can help our clients and I was just listening to the episode, the most recent one, on October 26th with Kelly Mann talking about how she went from being an auditor to starting her own firm, a, a niche firm in, is it, it's audits of, are they 401ks? Uh, yeah, employee benefit programs. In, yeah. Audits of employee benefit programs only and then building software because she couldn't find software to help her run that type of practice. So that was pretty cool and i think the app is called kelly's story is incredibly inspiring that was a really fun episode yeah. uh to to do with her and and talk about that she actually benefited from the aicpa's uh startup accelerator um nice. and and managed to build a piece of software that yeah is is changing the way her firm operates and lots of other firms so it, it's some pretty impressive stuff that she's doing with that well jeremy thanks for joining us we're gonna keep on going with app news but i know you're busy you're in new york you're at an aicpa firm get together so we'll let you go back to that yeah. to everybody and, we say uh, hi yeah tell everyone we said hi <laughs> absolutely right. thanks guys awesome. appreciate you having me this is a this is an honor and privilege thank you sir thanks jeremy hope to see you again soon awesome do you have any non-app news before you jump into app news or is that kind of the, the big one let's scroll let's see what do i have I have the Fed I lost now my thing stories. we could talk, touch on, but we could even yeah, do so that next week or unless you want to do that next. I think we should just go into app news because we only have about this ties to app news 15 anyways, minutes left. Of, so, yeah. Okay. So uh, let's do it. Kick it off, David. So app news. Um, this isn't kind of app news because apps are going to use this service. But I think we've talked about this before for the last year, year and a half, how the feds are building a new program called FedNow. Yeah, right. they're building their own instant payment network. Along with, I think, the cousin products, how they like want to make the post office banks and they want to have their own digital, their digital currency. 
And so the reason this came up this week, so the big Money 2020 conference was happening in Vegas, and that's all the fintechs get there and talk about all the great things they're building. Well, the feds were there, and they had a whole booth, and there's pictures on Twitter, and they're they pushing this, and they, were, they had a big keynote, and they're talking about and I'll let you play the video, but essentially, yeah. they're saying they're six to eight months from launch. So if you think about it, you have your ACH, right, which has been around since the 70s, the clearinghouse, which everybody's very familiar mm-hmm. with. It's kind of big batch text files, moving money around. And then the banks recently tried to get together, and they built something called RTP, real-time payments, but they're not letting everybody play. There's like 20 banks of so well, the 6,000 banks. That's like Zelle. That's what Zelle And then Zelle and that stuff, right. exactly. They don't let all the banks yeah. play. And so the credit unions are cut out, et cetera. So I'll let you play this video because it kind of paints a picture of what's one piece of this that's coming very soon. Okay. So this says how the FedNow service will work. In today's fast-paced world, time is money. More people, businesses, and organizations are demanding instant payments. That's why the Federal Reserve is developing the FedNow service, a safe and efficient instant payments infrastructure that will modernize the U.S. payment system. The FedNow service will give financial institutions the opportunity to innovate, enabling their customers to send and receive money in seconds, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Funds will settle between financial institutions in real time, which means there's no buildup of interbank obligations, and end users will have access to the funds in seconds. How will the FedNow service work? Okay, and then it goes on for a few minutes talking about how it actually works with the example of a coffee company that needs to send a quick payment to a vendor to make a quick order. And, I mean, basically, it sounds a lot like what we've got now. I was Except for the fact that it's instant. That's the difference. Right. So instead of using a right. you know, Bill.com and all these AP payment processing products, and it's all instant payments now built on their rails. And what seems to be different is that the, the Fed now system actually debits and credits the accounts at the two institutions, the credit union and the bank, yeah. the sender and the receiver. It actually goes in and makes the entry and eliminates the need for intercompany bank reconciliations. And that's what leads to the delay with the ACH network, as I understand it, is that there's these reconciliations that have to happen on a daily basis. Whereas this is instant, there are actually no more reconciliation accounts happening. It's so not, it's not that's done how in batches it. anymore, right? It's individual transactions It's individual, individual debits and credits, direct intermediary, yeah. And they so, but, were there, but like yes. practically, practically speaking, like the only difference between this from the endpoint user standpoint is going to be it's instant. <laughs> yeah, they, I think it's, it, that and in theory, the apps won't change their UIs. They'll just be using a different rail underneath the covers. But what's interesting about this is, yeah. yes, the examples they give is the credit union, smaller banks, they're all going to be on board. But who they're really speaking to at these conference, at like this conference money money, are the third party app developers, all these apps that we use. And so if this really is going to be available six to eight months from now, and they're telling developers to get on now, this is going to change everything. It's going to change business models because like uh, some of these apps charge, if you want, you know, uh, QuickBooks, you know, you're paying whatever, $10 to get next day or same day ACH, right? All these business models of making money on one day ACH are going to go away, right? Well, and and what they don't talk about here is- charge a fee. Yeah. They don't talk about how much it costs- so how much is it going to cost an app to use the FedNow network? That's not in here. I'd be curious to know if it will be cheaper. I feel like unless somebody comes along and somehow disrupts QuickBooks, like QuickBooks makes a ton of money from payments. They're not going to make it cheaper. Yeah. But I you know think I mean? they're trying to like, treat this like a utility, right? It's the way, like it's, it's this, it's infrastructure of the country is the way they're kind mm-hmm. of thinking about this. Because if not, yeah. people are going to use alternative means, Bitcoin, blockchain. Right. They're going to bypass the, the banks and bypass the rail. So it's just really mm-hmm. interesting. It's interesting that they're, they're, they came so hard. They had a booth. You know, they're probably giving out swag, right? Like the whole thing. So it's coming. So we'll keep an eye on it the next six to eight months here. Um, hey, I, this is not app news, but I have okay. a, fun, uh, a fun story that I want to share with you because uh, it's just too good and it's on the tax topic. So we'll see if this video plays here. Um, this is a tweet from Dion Grant. Tyler Perry revealed he once fired his accounting team after learning the IRS owed him $9 million. In business, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to learn, but do learn. I'll let you make a million mistakes, but you can't do the same thing over and over. 
Um, and so then here's this video of Tyler Perry speaking. Let's see if, let's see if I can play it for you. And um, yeah, here we go. So this audit went on for three years. I'm spending hundreds of thousands of dollars in accountings, accountants for the audit. And I was getting so mad and so frustrated. I was like, why the hell is this going on? What is it? And I, what I realized in my frustration is that, wait a minute, there's something to learn here. Sit back and just see where it goes. We, we get to the end of the audit and they, the IRS owed me $9 million. They owed me $9 million. And, and all my accountants come running and say, oh my God, isn't that great? Isn't that great? I say, no, hell no. How did you miss me paying $9 million? Everybody go. So I had to stop going to H&R Block for my taxes at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I learned in progress, and it's okay. Listen to me. In business, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, to learn, to have to learn, but, but do learn. Don't let it keep happening over and over again. And that's one thing about me. I'll let you make a million mistakes, but you can't do the same thing over and over again. And that's how I run my business. Okay, here, here's the mistake. Let's fix it. Let's move forward. So that's the ultimate insult. He called his accountants H&R Block. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. But this maybe, hey, tying this back to our discussion, maybe his accountants were being too conservative and they were overpaying tax and they, they didn't realize he qualified for all of these credits and deductions. And here he is angry that he overpaid his taxes. Yeah. Or they're trying to meet that, what, 110% threshold of the previous years or who knows, right? I don't uh, know, right? Yeah. We, we, have no, we don't have any I mean, details. Tyler Perry makes... Tyler Perry makes a lot of money, though, so yeah, it could, it might not be actually a big deal, but for him, it was. And he, I'm he glad was you so found big, the video because there's a lot of hot yeah. articles that keep flying by, and I click in the article, and there's nothing there. Clicking the article, I see the headlines, great, but I'm glad you found the video on that. Um, I thought that was a little concerning in a way. Yeah, so this was a, an article that was in another Bitcoin kind of pumping site called CoinGape, C O I N G A P E. And the, head, the title of the article is This Big Four Accounting Firm Launches Metaverse Client Experience. And it's talking about how Ernest & Young is going to provide metaverse-based network experience to their clients, right? And, and it's it's very all the EY. This is EY bragging about the metaverse, and it's a PR release, essentially, right? But the danger uh -huh. in this this happening, the danger, and it's I, I'm starting to feel like it's irresponsible. If you're big accounting firms, I get it. You want to pretend you are all crypto friendly and you're all this. But what it's happening is, is that's becoming marketing material for the scammers and the latest crypto scheme to show how legit crypto is, right? Like they're all, they're using they're utilizing. They're stealing the reputation of EY to show people it's safe, right? But, so as I was preparing for this show this morning, I was looking at these YouTube videos and an ad came on and it was some guy pitching digital real estate investments and it was buying land in the metaverse. <laughs> and yeah. did he use an accounting firm and, as an example who, who's done this to make everybody feel safe? I, I didn't. He I didn't want to watch. Should. He the should. He should put that in his video. I I didn't want to watch the whole ad or like click because if you click on that, then I'm going to get all of the scammers, you know, in my ads. But it did make me think back to this other story that I saw in accounting today. Walters Kluwer plants flag in metaverse. Tax accounting and compliance software provider Walters Kluwer announced that it has now established a presence in the metaverse. Specifically, it has bought virtual land in the blockchain-based platforms Decentraland insomnium space <laughs> and so so when they do this this is exactly my point because now that guy who made that video trying to get you to buy land you'd be like look this this accounting firm did it must be okay right so it legitimizes something that's completely idiotic because we talked about how a lot of these metaverse platforms have maybe dozens or at most hundreds <laughs> of yeah. users a day and it's not like a real thing nobody's doing this right now and so if you buy land in the metaverse, you're wasting your money or you're just spending it on, you know, PR. But I think the, the funniest thing about this whole thing is that Walters Kluwer is like the tax software provider that does not have a true cloud tax product. So instead of investing, <laughs> that's, that's instead funny. of investing in making their like product cloud compatible and cloud first, they're 
freaking buying land in the metaverse. Like what a complete disconnect. Like, like, oh, so maybe I can go into the metaverse and I can um, interact with the servers, virtual like servers in my office that I'm using to host your software. Like, <laughs> you know, like what's the, yeah. I, I, I don't get it. It's just, but, but I do think that these publicity stunts accounting firms are doing with crypto and the metaverse and Bitcoin and all this stuff they're doing because they want to look like we're, we're hip and we're cool and we're on top of stuff and get all the buzzwords on our blog post are being exploited by the scammers. Yeah. Well, I got another one here and then uh, we're almost out of time. So I'll let you take the last story. The IRS is going to put call in queue out of business. They are eliminating story, line cutting. So good to go. <laughs> yeah, so the practitioner priority service line has been clogged up by the service called Call and Queue, which puts bots in the in the queue, and then you can pay Call and Queue hundreds of dollars a month and buy those your buy your way to cut in line essentially. And the IRS said in an email on Friday to tax professionals that it has initiated a pilot program that now requires PPS callers to repeat certain phrases before they're transferred to an IRS phone assister. They're using speech recognition technology to ensure a live person is calling and not a mechanical advice. And Colin Q said basically on its website that it's suspending its service. It's shutting down because it can't deal with this. Yeah, Ed Zoller so, wrote a blog post and he has some quotes on this. But apparently, you know, they, they sent this letter that said soon, but apparently it meant four days later because uh, this is a quote that somebody said. It looks like they started this morning on the, with the practitioner line. They are now asking questions like, what is the sum of four plus one? Because that's how they'll know you're, you're an accountant. You'll have to answer the question correctly. I'm a bit disappointed that Colin Q doesn't have AI speech technology where it can defeat this verification because it, it's it's pretty good now. But I guess they don't. So, uh, but I think yeah. the next step is they're going to you're going you you're going to record your voice, your voice. <laughs> but even that eventually could get hacked because Colin Q could call you, record your voice, and then you know, have that re-engineered. There's probably ways well, to do it. it. It's like the uh, the editing software we use, Descript, has this ability where you can feed it. 20 minutes of your voice, voice speaking yeah. and then it creates a model of your voice and it can it can you know r speak what you type it's not totally perfect but it's pretty darn it could good probably say five better. it could probably say five good enough yeah you say answer. five in your in your voice yeah yeah um so i got lots more stories but they're gonna have to wait until next week because that's that's all we got that's all the time we got for this week and can tax Thanks Twitter just give us a break us. for a week? <laughs> just give us a break. <laughs> like, it's just too much. Thanks to everyone who joined us on the live stream on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Cloud Accounting Podcast, to get notified when we go live. We usually do it Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific. And uh, so do hit that subscribe button. You'll get a notification on your phone. And it works. YouTube I got it because I forgot to put Do Not Disturb on. So I just got nice. it today. It like, happens right away yeah. as soon as you say we're live. Um, and that way you're getting the news ahead of everybody else because it takes us a few days to get these episodes out uh, onto the regular feed. Um, I'll see you here next week, David. Next week. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Time for the classifieds. Are you still paying 1% for ACH to receive money from your customers? With Uclick, you can pay as little as 30 cents per transaction. Uclick has two-way sync to both Zero and QuickBooks Online and gives you the features that the accounting systems lack like installment plans, secure automatic payment setup invitations, automatic receipts, and allows access to other credit card merchant providers beyond the ones that come with the accounting system, giving you more control over the service fees that you pay. For more information and a 30-day free trial, go to ucollect.biz slash CAP. That's ucollect.biz slash CAP. Check out Hector Garcia's new app called Right Tool for QuickBooks Online. Instantly increase your productivity with keyboard shortcuts and more. It will save you seconds. The app is free at the moment in public beta. Check them out at righttool.app. That is righttool.app, R-I-G-H-T-T-O-O-L dot app. I don't care where you live in the United States. If you're a CPA, you have to take ethics continuing education. And I don't care who you are and where you live, you hate taking ethics continuing education that's why me greg kite and my buddy adam browd we created a podcast called drunk ethics where we 
unfold and uh, expose all of the inner secrets of not just ethics, but how to become more ethical and to promote ethical behavior at your workplace. And we do that while we are getting progressively more faced during the course of each episode. In each episode, we take seven shots every seven minutes. And so at the beginning, we are scholarly. And by the end, we are drunk yet still scholarly. If you're interested in this podcast, which I know you are, anyone can listen to the podcast for free. It's out there. You can find it. But if you want CPE credit for it, NASBA certified CPE credit, it is a premium course on Earmark. So if you're already a subscriber to Earmark, it's going to be more than that. But listen, it's worth it because of two reasons. First off, you know your company, you know your firm's going to pay for it and not you. And second of all, it's worth it, damn it. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.